Hello there, welcome to Jubes and Curd, the podcast of my show on GB News. My name's Michelle Jubery, and you can catch me live every weekday evening from 6 till 7pm. But worry not, if you miss it, you can catch up here after every show. So let's do it. Welcome to Jubes and Curd. This is Jubes and Kerr, the show where we'll get into some of the things that have got you talking today. Now, figures are out which say that UK inflation has raised to a 30-year high. But do you think things are going to get worse before they get better? I've got to say, sadly, I do. And the UN Refugee Agency has warned of their fears that the UK's scheme for Ukrainian refugees could be open to abuse by men looking to sexually exploit the refugees. Goodness me, does our government need to do more? And anti-fossil fuel activists say that they will continue blockading oil terminals until they're jailed. Well, I say, can we hurry up and jail them then, please? But what about you? Do you support them, their cause? What about their methods? Fascinating to hear your views on that. And Greater, sorry, Greater Manchester's police chief has apologised for the failings surrounding the infamous grooming gang scandal. Today is not about Greater Manchester Police, but about those victims who, in the past, have been let down when they needed our help in the most traumatic and horrific circumstances. Yes, they have indeed been let down for years and years and years. And let me tell you now, if you're watching this at home thinking that this is a historic crime, this is a thing of the past, no. I assure you that this grooming situation goes on, I would hazard a guess, right across the country as we speak. Is an apology enough? Personally, I say no. Keeping me company here until 7 o'clock tonight, my panel, Christopher Snowden, who's the head of Lifestyle Economics at the Institute of Economic Affairs. Kerry Dingle, the filmmaker, and campaigner Amy Cameron. And you know the drill on Jubes & Co. It's not just about us, me, the panel. No, it is not. It is about you at home as well and your thoughts. What, are, what is on your mind tonight? What do you think about the topics we are discussing? Is there anything you think we should be talking about that we're not? Get in touch with me on email, gbviews at gbnews.uk. You can tweet me at Michelle Jubes or at GB News. Don't forget, if you haven't already, you can subscribe to us on YouTube, you can download our app, you can listen to us on the radio, you can watch us on social media. We'll basically follow you around wherever you are. So there's no excuses for missing out on GB News. Our top story there tonight, prices are rising at their fastest rate for 30 years. This is driven by a sharp increase in petrol and diesel costs. It, I've got to say, it's at its highest rate now since 1992. Chris Snowden, I could talk and talk about facts and figures, but let's get to the nuts and bolts of it. What's going on? You are an economist. What a treat to have you here tonight. Your thoughts on all of this? Um, well, we haven't seen the half of it, I'm afraid. Uh, the main drivers of inflation last month were, as you say, uh, fuel prices, but also hotels and pubs. Uh, I don't know if you've noticed, but the prices have been going up quite a bit in the hospitality industry. I have. Um, the next thing to really go up, I think, is, is going to be food. And this is something that's going to happen over the rest of the year. Uh, because it takes a while for higher prices, particularly higher fertilizer prices, and world fertilizer prices have gone up three or four fold 
in the last year. But that you don't see the effect on that in food for a very long time. You know, you plant your, your crops last year, you harvest them this year, you then feed the barley to chickens and cows and you, you, the price of meat goes up even later than that. So we've got that um, uh, time bomb to look forward to. And also we've got the, uh, the energy cap is probably going to be lifted again later this but the, year. The current energy cap, that's not actually reflected, is it? And correct me if I'm wrong, I bow to your knowledge, but the current energy cap came into force on the 1st of April. Yeah, so we're talking about March's figures here. Yeah, it yeah. went up 54%. So that is not actually even factored in to this 7%. Exactly. It's just about petrol and diesel at the moment. So we've got higher food prices to come. We've got higher gas prices very clearly to come. Home heating costs are going to go up. We seem to be roughly a month behind America, actually. End of last year, America hit 7% inflation. Yesterday, America just hit 8.5%. Mm, the OBR, higher in America, wasn't yep, it? And it may well, may well go into double figures. I think it would probably go into double figures in this country, but it, it's very hard to predict these things. But I, what I will predict is it's definitely going to get worse. And just as a, a brief reminder, the Bank of England's target was 2%. We're on 7 Amy, your thoughts? Yes, it's genuinely scary times, I think, and it's worth bearing in mind that these the effects of this are not felt equally across the population. I think everyone is feeling it, but we know that these inflationary pressures, these price pressures, affect those on the lower end of the earning scale more dramatically, disproportionately. Uh, and I think we are, although we are seeing global trends, we are undoubtedly uniquely exposed in quite a number of ways in the UK. We've got a really poor um, public transport network, which means far too many people are reliant on, on private transport that correlates with the increases in fuel costs. We also know we've got super leaky homes, which the government's done nothing to insulate, which means our energy bills are worse than they need to be. The government has done very little to crack down on profiteering by oil and gas companies. And I think the as the situation gets worse and worse, the complete inadequacy of last week's spring statement becomes ever clearer. So little was done to support people on the lower end of the earning, earning spectrum. And I think those people are going to face genuinely really scary times in the month ahead. And there is a, a need, and I think a, a real injustice in not seeing more action from government to protect those who are most vulnerable to these changes. Kerry, more action? Well, <clears throat> I think, first of all, I mean, Chris is right, things are absolutely going to get worse. And Amy's right that it's going to hit um, people on the lower income scales. But I think it's a bit tautological to say that price rises cause... A bit price, what? A bit what? Price rises. Well, it's just tautological. saying... Tautological. Yeah. Price rises cause price rises. I think we should be more honest and have a serious discussion about the economic growth we need because this inflation hasn't come from nowhere. The economy has been shut down for two years. Mm -hmm. Whole swathes of the productive sector were hit as a result. And so this should come as no surprise. And on top of that, we have the insanity of the net zero uh, idea, which sadly Amy has, has gone along with, and those kind of politics, which have added to the hike we're going to have in fuel prices within a month. The charity I run, our volunteer centre, the gas contract that's been quoted, and I've done all the comparison sites, is going from 3.7 pence per unit to 19.4 pence per unit. That's going from four grand a year to 10 grand a year. So we're going to have to shut because we just can't pay the gas bill when it comes. And how, how many small businesses are going to shut? That's a business gas price. And for homeowners, you know, it's horrendous. Yeah, and businesses, they're not, they don't have a cap, do they? Uh, you know, this off-gem thing, that's more residential than it is uh, the business sector. Chris, what do you think the government should do more then? 
Uh, well, I agree with Amy that the government should have, if, that's what, if this is what you're suggesting, I think it probably is that they should have at least increased benefits by the rate of inflation. Yeah. And that would actually be quite a Thatcherite thing to do. It was Margaret Thatcher's idea in the early 80s. So hang on, so you think, that it, you think that benefits should rise by currently, let's just say, 7%? Yeah. But wages haven't increased by 7%. No, but you can, so either, you, can either couple, you can either link benefits to wages or you can link them to inflation. And Margaret Thatcher in the early 80s made a decision to link them, instead of, uh, instead of linking them to wages, to link them to inflation. Now, what that means is when the economy is doing well and people are making more money, you tend to see a rise in inequality. But it also means that when you have recessions and hard times, the poor are essentially cushioned from a lot of that damage. I think that's a reasonable thing to do. And I think it's a shame that the Conservatives have moved away from that. But other than that, I'm afraid people are just going to have to suck it up. The government doesn't control the price of things, and it certainly doesn't control the price, the global price, of uh, things like barley and and gas. There are lots of things government could have done over the course of the last 10 or 20 years. Oh, absolutely, we could have been fracking and building nuclear power. We didn't have to have all these sin taxes. The government's always raising the price of things. The reality is politicians don't really care about the cost of living. They've got lots of other priorities, such as net zero, such as you know, reducing obesity. The government's going to be banning multi-buy offers on, on food in October when inflation's set to peak. These are the real priorities of government. They're not that bothered about the... the no, I don't agree. I don't think that's fair. I, I don't think it's fair to say that this government does not care about the fact that its citizens, essentially many of them, will not be able to afford, whether it's heating, whether it's food. I personally think that's a bit harsh to well, say that they don't I shouldn't speak loud in words. The, the, the direct consequence of... Well, obviously, the direct consequence of having VAT at 20%, having lots of sin taxes on, on petrol, on tobacco, on alcohol, they, on, on sugary drinks. These are deliberately designed to, to push the price of the things. Then you have a whole load of regulation that imposes costs on business, which have to be pushed through to the consumer through higher prices. Now, that could be inadvertent, but it, it shouldn't be surprising. You know, organisations like the IA are constantly warning the government of all the unintended consequences and the additional costs that are incurred by excessive regulation. And they're not that bothered because they have other priorities. Kerry? I think... I, I mean, I don't think you're wrong, Chris, with all the syntaxes and the obsession with all of those, <clears throat> those things, but that's much more about our behaviour change and an obsession with changing our behaviour. Well, that's what they're more interested yeah, in, see? Well, maybe. The real problem is one of omission, where they don't have a serious plan for economic growth. There isn't massive mm -hmm. in infrastructure investment or productive investment in other industry. That's what we don't see. That's where it's failed. They talk it every now and again when they've uh, dealt with the North-South divide. But in general, that is well, not HF2 the obsession. Well, is a big infrastructure yeah, it's, it's something. It's something, Michelle, but it isn't enough. And they still haven't and they haven't admitted to what they've done to the economy for the last two years. I don't think lockdown should have happened. I think it was a disaster in waiting. And now you can't get over that by avoiding talking about what's really happened. Yeah, and I do think this whole lockdown thing, Kerry's got a point, Amy, and actually I would say that some in politics, if they had their way, I'd imagine that we'd still be locked down now if some people had the opportunity to have kept us locked down for longer. And one of the things that I worry about is that people have lost sight of the word consequence. So lots of people call for, you know, more government support, more this, more that, more that, more that. But these things are not free. 
And actually, I think that there comes a time, actually, when there's a consequences to actions, catch up with people. So when we talk about let's just shut down the entire economy, and I notice, actually, that a lot of this cost of living is getting passed off as being Ukraine's fault, uh, the war in Ukraine, not Ukraine, but it's the fault of this war, which it isn't, actually, as Kerry quite rightly uh, mentions. A lot of this stemmed from the whole COVID lockdown policies that we've all had, bonkers lockdown policies, I would say, as well. But I think, in reality, lots of this actually stems from well before that. And yes, there's consequences of action. There's also consequences of inaction. And I would argue that I don't think our government has done enough. I would totally agree with Kerry on the need for infrastructure projects. We've massively failed to invest in manufacturing and in, in work creation and job creation in the UK. I, I would disagree, and I will come back to it somewhat predictably, uh, that net zero is a driver here in that surely the solution to the staggering cost of oil and gas is for us to be using less of it. And on that, on the kind of in action piece, had our government heeded the warnings of the much maligned protesters months ago about insulation, homes would not be nearly as vulnerable as they are to the economic shocks that we're seeing globally. So I think we, we do have a government that has a responsibility to people. And exactly as Chris has said, they demonstrably do not care about working families who've been driven increasingly into poverty under their reign while they've stripped out our public services. So yes, there, is, there are consequences, positive and negative, I would argue argue to action, but there are huge consequences equally from inaction. And I think we, while we can lay some of the blame for this, perhaps at lockdown, we have to remember that lockdowns were being driven by a, a global pandemic, which was resulting in the, the loss of, of hundreds of thousands of lives. It was an extremely difficult period. And I don't think we should be blaming the victims of a, of a global pandemic and the people who are rightly concerned about trying to save as many lives as possible for subsequent economic implications, which actually well predate that and predate way back to 2010 and the start of the Conservative government. Well, you know, I want to know your views as well at home. What do you think, because I think what Chris was just saying about the, you know, when it comes to benefits and when we link benefits, what do we link them to? Is it inflation? Is it average earnings when you're working? Because I find this quite a fascinating point. If your wages or people's wages are not going up to match inflation, is it fair that benefits then go up to match inflation. And yes, I understand that a lot of people that are working receive benefits as well. And I also understand that the pensions uh, would be included in this bracket as well. But I wouldn't mind your thoughts on that. Uh, I find that absolutely fascinating. Also, do you think that the government could and should do more. Uh, I do share the opinions of uh, some of the panel here in terms of the government. You know, there are lots more things that uh, they could have done, but really, I don't really, I refuse to accept really that the government uh, doesn't care about your cost of living. Am I being absolutely deluded? Uh, Nigel is saying, don't keep comparing inflation with wages. Pensioners was hit with a low uh, increase of pay. Yeah, this, and this is the point, Nigel, where we're talking what Chris was just suggesting earlier. What do we link uh, benefits to? Should it be average earnings or should it be uh, inflation? And by the way, where do, you, where do you draw the line if you link it to inflation, Chris? Because there's fears actually, that we could hit double-digit inflation. Do you just keep going and going and going if you decide to adopt a policy of matching it to inflation? I think you could do, yeah. I think you could. I mean, we, we, we link lots of other things to inflation. Not least. How would we pay for that? So let's just say we've well, got double because, digit, Let's just say 15% yeah. inflation. So we mm -hmm. suddenly decide to increase all the benefits by 15%. How would we fund that? Well, because the government is going to get a huge amount more tax revenue from inflation. The government really quite likes inflation. It's going to inflate away a lot of the debt. They're going to get more in VAT because prices are going to go up. And they're also going to get more in income tax because they're holding the thresholds for income tax. 
They're projected to get tens of, millions, uh, tens of billions of pounds more through taxation. Inflation is a stealth tax itself. It's, it's the most stealthy of stealth taxes, and governments actually quite like it. So, yes, they will be getting in more tax revenue, which means, yes, they could be, they could be raising benefits by the rate of inflation. There's nothing actually unreasonable about that. What they're actually doing is, uh, well, not freezing them, but cutting in real terms by a significant amount, cutting benefits while getting in more tax revenue as a result of the inflation. Mm. Jim's just said, uh, your panellists, Amy, complained about the government not doing enough uh, to pay for improvements to my house in terms of, for example, insulation. Jim says, uh, please can you ask her, why should the government pay for my home improvements? That's Jim, sir. Amy, why should the government pay for Jim's home improvements, he wants to know. So it's a combination of things, right? One is that um, actually a huge investment in an insulation programme would result in a huge number of jobs, as well as being one of the most sustained ways that we could keep bills down. So I do, I, I, I make no apology for the fact I think our government should be doing more to improve the quality of lives of our citizens, to tackle the climate emergency, to create sustainable jobs, to wean us off oil and gas, which leaves us so vulnerable to these global price shocks. So I've got no idea what your um, audience members current financial position is, and I absolutely think the support should be targeted at those who need it the most. But investing in insulation would create thousands and thousands of jobs those right jobs across still be, the country. Those jobs would still be created if people got, you know, paid for it out of their own pocket. We don't need the government paying for it to create all these jobs. If people are incentivised by these higher prices, which many people may well be, to A, cut down on their energy use, and B, insulate their homes better, then they'll, they'll do it. It, make, it makes financial sense. We don't but need it, the government it, to, to... But it's way too high an upfront cost. I mean, if, if you looked yourself at insulating your home, yes, it is a good it's a sensible thing to do over the long term, but it's an ex extraordinary upfront cost right now. So if we could put in something which helped to ease off that initial upfront payment, could be in the form of a grant through which, Hello, which is paid yeah. back through your bill savings, I would be very open to that. But for far too many people, it's not possible. Also think about how many people are in flats or in shared buildings where the idea of insulating your home on your own is just practically impossible. We have a freeholder situation in England, which means it's impossible for many people to do, make the changes they need. I make no bones about calling on the government to invest in programmes which make people's homes warmer, create jobs and cut bills. I think that's absolutely the kind of thing our government should spend it, money on. Well, I've got to say as well, uh, lots of people are writing in about the whole net zero thing. If you are excited to get into the net zero thing, hold your horses because we will be talking about climate change and uh, these just stop oil protesters and all that kind of stuff coming up on the show in, in not uh, probably about 10 minutes time. But Martin has emailed in saying, I'm new tonight. Uh, good evening to you, Martin. You say you're listening and you say you find it absolutely crazy. You say that benefits should go up. Why are hardworking people going to pay for the non-working in society? Uh, he goes on to basically say there's many that have multiple generations in their lives that have never worked and believe that the country owes them a living. I've got to say, Martin, when it comes to the workshop, I agree with you. However, we do have to remember that someone benefits uh, their pe pensions are classed as benefits. Um, and also, obviously, people disabilities that can't work, etc. Uh, anyway, do keep your thoughts coming in. GBviews at gbnews.uk. Tweet me at Michelle Jubes or at gbnews. Going to take a quick break. When we come back, uh, we'll be talking about this next story. The United Nations Refugee Agency is basically calling on the UK's government to do more when it comes to the Ukrainian refugee programme. Why? Well, to stop British single men basically hitting on Ukrainian women. Goodness me, we'll have that and more after the break.
Hello there, welcome back to Jubes & Co with me, Michelle Jubery. A quick reminder as to my panel tonight, Christopher Snowden, who's the head of lifestyle economics at the Institute of Economic Affairs. Kerry Dingle, the filmmaker, and campaigner Amy Cameron. Now, the UN uh, Refugee Agency has called on the UK government to intervene to stop single British men from being matched up with learned Ukrainian women. Why? Well, this is due to a fear of sexual exploitation. Apparently, there's been claims that predatory men were using the Homes for Ukraine scheme to target the vulnerable. Uh, I mean, you'll all know by now that under the government scheme, British hosts must basically link up with their own uh, refugees that must match themselves, basically. Kerry, what do you think to this? I think it's an absolutely outrageous slur. You know, the, we had this a few years ago with the UN ambassador. What is that guys are hitting on women? Yeah, I think it's it's an absolute slur. The idea that you know uh, misogynistic men across Britain are lining up to t try and get young, cute Ukrainian refugees to stay in their homes. I mean, it's such a nonsense. We've had thousands and thousands of families in the UK putting forward their homes to house refugees. We've had incredible, embarrassing sloth from the government and bureaucracy. Because in fact, and I know this because I've been fundraising to bring a couple of young people over, and one of them, the boy, has got his uh, right to travel. The girl hasn't, precisely because of the amount of inspections. Every single council has to inspect every single home to see it's appropriate. And then anyone in that house has to go through a DBS check, you know, a barring service check please check to make sure they're OK. So that's all already happening. Massively, has massively slowed down anyone getting here. And this is yet another excuse. We had the UN do this with, with an ambassador a few years ago when they said all of Britain uh, is racist. Now Britain is, you know, awash with misogynist predatory men. They even said in this report that some, some interesting Interestingly, it was a safeguarding officer for an NGO whose job it is to make out that this stuff is absolutely everywhere, uh, saying that the refugee scheme was like Tinder for sex traffickers. I, I think we should really object to this. There's no proof. And, of course, you'll get the odd troll on Facebook or on, on social media saying something stupid like, sure, you can come and share my bed. There, there's always going to be a few idiots out there. But I think it's also suggesting that Ukrainian women are so stupid that they'd go along with sexist blokes. When, if the Ukrainian women I know wouldn't, would give them a really, really hard time. Yeah, I mean, to be fair, there's, I think it's in the Times newspaper, Chris, uh, they've done a, like an undercover investigation and they've referenced some of the comments, for example, that they've received um, posing as a Ukrainian uh, lady. They've had men saying, you know, you can share my bed. Are you married? Are you single? Are, are you looking for whatever? You know, so it is happening. And actually, I don't mean to be offensive because before I need to put a caveat on, this is not all men before men start writing in saying, what are you doing uh, undermining us? But there will absolutely be some men that sit there thinking, fantastic. There's a, you know, an opportunity to get a single woman, a vulnerable single woman in my house. And Kerry, I actually think that some people will take advantage of that. Chris, am I wrong? I do agree with you, actually, Michelle. I think this is a scandal waiting to happen. Obviously, the vast majority of people are going to take in refugees in, in good faith. But, I mean, it can't be denied there are people out there who will try and exploit this situation. 
it might not happen very often, but I would be amazed if it doesn't happen uh, at all. And therefore, you know, then what happens? You know, then the social services, local councils all get blamed for it. What were you thinking, putting in single women with these, with these, mm. these blokes? I mean, there are, I mean, they're not all women and children, these refugees. Men over the age of 60 can come over. Can't we just give, give these single men a, an old bloke to live with? Well, yeah, you'd imagine so, Amy. Yeah, I totally agree. The government has taken a kind of, uh, you already referenced it, Michelle, but a sort of shockingly hands-off approach to this matching scheme so far. They have this week launched a sort of government-backed version of the matching. But to date, we've taken in 12,000, I think that's off a couple of days ago, 12,000 Ukrainian refugees because our process is completely incompetent. And I think what it reflects is that for years, the Home Office has been working towards a system of making entering the UK increasingly increasingly hostile. And you see that playing out now because we're not able to quickly mobilise to help people in need. And I would totally disagree with Kerry that I, I'm sure that many strong Ukrainian women would, under normal circumstances, not go anywhere near any of these men with a barge pole. These women should not be having to, to even deal with advances like that in a context like this. For, for it to be a requirement that people match themselves before they can apply for a visa while fleeing a war zone just seems completely nonsensical. And I do think it's a complete shame, given the, the phenomenal outpouring of generosity we've seen from the British public, to let a few, even if it is only a few, although I think the Times investigation suggests it's more prevalent than any of us would like to see, but to let that sully what otherwise is a phenomenal demonstration of support and compassion, that kind of behaviour and the lack of action from the government to support people to do this like safely and efficiently, I think is a total blight. I, to and I totally disagree, Amy, and I'm surprised at you, Chris, because you're so good at challenging the regulation of everyday life. And actually, what this Times report and these other reports are saying is the problem is that it's the British public putting themselves forward unregulated because we can't be trusted. We're awash with misogynist predatory men, which I profoundly disagree with. The best thing about this scheme, compared with all the hostile environment stuff that you point to, Amy, that's true, exists, is that British people and families are actually allowed to take refugees for a change, except the government and the bureaucracy and actually the inspections and the DBS checks and the complete mess that this system is, is preventing that happening. And the idea that a few backward comments by trolls on social media means that this should be stymied and we need a new system, which is what they're calling for, a new regulated refugee system, you can imagine it means that even fewer refugees will ever get here. And I would say to people, look, British families are really well-meaning and enthusiastic and want refugees to be able to come here. And there are very rare, very rare indeed, cases of predatory men who will even fill the forms in that's required. Right. Can I please speak out in praise of Britain, right? I'm sorry, but I, I feel a need. Like you're mentioning, for example, Amy, and we're being, you know, lots of criticism about the process and the speed and all the rest of it. I actually look at the fact that we've got over a thousand people in situ in this mm. country now, over 12 and a half thousand visas issued as a really good 
thing. This war is less than 50 days old, mm. so we've acted remarkably quickly. People are constantly putting the UK down for what we haven't done or what we should have done better or we should have done quickly. But actually, I think credit where credit's due, I think that is a really good achievement. Uh, so I don't think, that I'm not putting down the UK, I actually think the demonstration of generosity from the UK public has been phenomenal. I've, I think they've been let down by the government process that has not enabled it. But I, Michelle... this is what I'm saying. But... I actually think I'm giving credit, I'm giving credit to the UK government for this process. I think that having over a thousand people from a war zone mm. in less than 50 days. This war is less than 50 days But we're doing so badly old. compared to others. So compared look, to who? Ireland. Like who? So Ireland have a population a tenth of ours have taken double the number oh, of refugees right. at this well, point. Well, I am very glad that you've brought Ireland up because let me tell you for why I am glad <laughs> that you've brought Ireland up because I hear this all the time. People say, well, what about Ireland? What about Ireland? What about Ireland? Well, I'll tell you what about Ireland. Let me just find my paper because I am sure that I made, the, I made a note of this as I came in. Because people say all the time, well, what about Ireland? Well, so this, this is not the only foreign situation at the moment that's requiring support for refugees. Really? Afghan, for example. The UK evacuated some 15,000 Afghans to the UK last August. You know how many Ireland did, if my facts are correct? About 500. So this is where I get a little bit frustrated. When you're talking about, oh, let's compare the UK and Ireland, I'll give you another example. The UK is currently spending almost £5 million a day to house people in hotels. 25,000 asylum seekers, 12,000 Afghan refugees. I bet my bottom dollar that Ireland are not doing that. So I just get a little bit tired of people constantly knocking this government when actually it isn't just Ukraine that is in you know, conflict, upheaval. You know, we are an island. We can only do so much. And I actually think credit where it's uh, due, Boris Johnson, if you're watching, I think this government is doing a good job and we should celebrate it more rather than knocking uh, the responses that we offer as a country. Uh, anyway, I have to say on the email, you lot are having none of me saying that pensions are a benefit. You're furious. I can't even tell you how many emails I've got. You're still writing in. As we're talk we've moved on, we're talking about Ukraine. You lot are having none of it, writing in, telling me. There's so many, I can't call all your names out, but the gist you're giving me is that you're furious with me for saying that pensions are a benefit. It's not me that's saying that. This is how it's classified. Chris, you'll back me up on this. Yep. When the government talks about benefits and increasing benefits, 3.1%, they include pensions within that. So in my defence, Your Honour, it's not me say that pensions are a benefit. It is the government, the very same one that I've just been singing the praises Defended. of. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, I'm uh, going to take a quick break uh, just now. When we come back, hey, I can tell you I'm looking forward to this one. Uh, the Just Stop Oil protesters, oh, let me tell you, they've said that they're going to continue keeping going and disrupting until they're in prison. I say, get them all in prison then. I dare say, Amy will disagree with me. I'll see you in a couple of minutes. Hello there, welcome back to Jubes & Co with me, Michelle Jubery. Keeping me company tonight, I have the pleasure of the company of Christopher Snowden, who's the Head of Lifestyle Economics at the Institute of Economic Affairs, the filmmaker, Kerry Dingle, and the campaigner, Amy Cameron. Uh, lots of you getting in contact still about this whole pensions thing. I know, I know, you've worked, you've earned your money. Uh, as I said before the break, it's not me saying it, it's the government. When it comes to Ukrainian uh, refugees, Gary, 
says Michelle, I am fed up with being classed the lowest of the low. The majority of men in this country are decent people and I am sick to death of being painted in the wrong light. Where, he asks, have the standards gone? I don't know, Gary. Um, maybe some of those guys that are indeed propositioning some of these women could answer that question for us. Right, let's move on, shall we? Anti-fossil fuel activists, Just for Oil, have vowed to continue blockading oil terminals until they are jailed. Uh, I've got to say, there were more arrests in Essex today after members of the Extinction Rebellion offshoot uh, basically climbed on top of and glued themselves to oil tankers at Pearfleet Terminals. Good job I'm not an oil tanker driver, by the way, because I'd probably drive off with them on top of it and that would make them think twice, wouldn't it? Uh, as I said, not a good, good idea that I'm not a driver. Amy Cameron, what do you think to all of this? Um, I've been looking forward to this segment. I think I might be somewhat outnumbered. I guess I'll find out. I guess I'll find out. So I think, first of all, it is important to say that actually the AA have said there has been very little disruption in terms of um, availability of, of petrol and diesel. Uh, and what disruption there has been, they think, has been largely driven by panic buying because of the media coverage of said disruption. So just I think that's just worth flagging because I don't want to contribute further to panic buying. Um, secondly, I think we have this interesting situation at the moment where it's sort of the equivalent of filing a noise complaint about a fire alarm. Um, yes, it's undoubtedly annoying, but if it's trying to draw your attention to a bigger problem which could be addressed, then in the round, I feel like it is worth it. I am someone who's campaigned on climate for quite a long time now, and I can reassure you that we have tried all of the recommended channels. We have signed petitions. We have gone Who's on marches. Who's by the way? Are you part of these protests? No, I'm not. I'm here tonight. <laughs> I'm, yeah, I'm but not part of having a day off today, though, or something. I'm Apparently not part of somewhere? Extinction Rebellion, no. But I, I would count myself yes, as part of the kind of wider climate campaign movement, whatever you want to call it. And, and we have tried. We've tried over years, meeting with MPs, um, lobbying government, signing petitions, going on marches. And the reality is the situation hasn't stayed the same. It's, it's got actively worse. So I do have a huge amount of sympathy with campaigners who feel like they've been left with no choice. It, it does feel rubbish to, to be stigmatised like this in the media. They receive a lot of hate online, in person. And, and that feels rubbish. The reason they do it is because what feels more rubbish is to do nothing they in the face it. of such a scary, scary prospect as, as climate change, which the vast majority of the public are extremely concerned about. What these protesters are... They? Hang are... on, just hold that thought. Uh, very quickly, Amy, she said the vast... Uh, what did you say? What was your the vast exact... majority of the public are worried about the climate change. The vast majority of the public are worried about climate change. Uh, do me a favour if you're watching, you are indeed the public. Get in touch with me. Tell me, are you uh, worried, vastly worried about this? Uh, GBviews at gbnews.uk, at Michelle Jubes, at GBnews Twitter, as you were, sorry. No, that's wrong. fine. So Government-run polling on this um, regularly, and we've seen record levels of concern about climate change. It's up over 80% of the public say they're worried about it. So that that is just objectively true. And I think... I think what we have to remember is that the demands that these protesters are making are not radical. They are asking for no new oil and gas extraction. That's the same thing the International Energy Agency have called for. It's the same thing the government's own scientific advisors have called for. These are reasonable demands, not radical demands, in the face of a genuinely terrifying future. So, yeah, again, I come back to that idea that, yes, it might be annoying in the same way that your neighbour's fire alarm is annoying, but you suck it up because it's drawing your attention to a bigger problem. 
them. So I, I have huge sympathy for them. I'm not out there with them. I campaign in different ways, but I have huge sympathy for people who feel like the usual channels have delivered nothing. I've got so much to say, but I'm going to keep sure my do. mouth shut <laughs> and allow Kerry to speak instead. Um, Kerry. <laughs> I, I just find, Amy, your politics and your ideas are really uh, an alternate reality and that you know, you may be on some other planet, when the vast majority of the British public are faced with these horrendous cost of living rises and price hikes and energy bills. So rather than addressing you know, the kind of energy production we need, you're obsessed with, really, and so are these climate lunatics and this apocalyptic doom-mongering, you're obsessed with stopping the kind of oil and gas um, production that we so badly need or from getting the gas through the fracking from under our feet. And I think these kind of green politics, which are actually also very mainstream, it's the lunatic fringe that are preventing people, and they are. The AA might say there's been less disruption than expected, but one in three petrol stations in the southeast had to stop people filling up. That means people who need to take their family to hospitals, who need to get in a car because they can't get to work any other way. That means ambulances. That means people's normal lives are screwed by these kind of protesters who think they're holier than thou and are into saving the planet at the expense of the poor. And sadly, for years now, I've campaigned against this green nonsense because it's screwed up the lives of people in the developing world now it's screwing up the lives of people here and we shouldn't tolerate it. Chris Snowden? Yeah, I mean, these people are brainwashed idiots and I think... Who was brainwashed the police, idiot? The Insulate Britain, Extinction Rebellion, Just Stop Oil. So, whatever. do you class Amy as that? I'm sorry, well, she's I don't not, want to she's not gluing her, If she was that. gluing herself to an oil refinery, yeah, that's, that's, well, I mean, it's basically terrorism. They're trying to take out oil refineries. That's pretty much a terrorist ambition. I don't think they should be prescribed as a terrorist organisation as such, but I think the police should immediately take them away from wherever they are. I think the police have been far too tolerant. It's quite wrong to say that you know, these people have been making their case politely for years and no one's been listening to them. The government is obsessed with climate change. These people are basically outriders for the government. They just make the government's position look more reasonable by being so totally unreasonable. The government wants to have net zero by 2050. It has no means of doing it. And it's completely hypocritical, by the way, to complain about the cost of living while supporting this kind of stuff. Now, admittedly, they haven't gone as far as Extinction Rebellion because Extinction Rebellion wants to have net zero by 2025, which is an idiotic and obviously totally unrealistic position. That doesn't mean you can go around terrorising people. We, there was no petrol anywhere in my neck of the woods two days ago. None of it. And it wasn't because of panic buying. It was because these people are stopping the production of diesel in particular. They should be imprisoned, if that's what they want, in great numbers, and their sentence should be doubled every time they do it. See, Amy, uh, I do feel a bit bad because you are on your own, so yeah. I'm trying to think of some ways that I agree with you, but I, I, I am trying, but I, I don't agree with you. And I'm, my inbox, I'm telling you, my inbox is pretty much on fire with people saying that you're not uh, concerned as a primary concern about climate change. The sentiments that's coming through is the UK is responsible, as you will know this better than I do, Amy, 1% of global emissions... And what people are saying is, you know, as a country, we are making progress, we are making the right steps, we are kind of taking it as seriously as we ought to be, but enough now. Because actually, people are really, really struggling, Amy, and yeah. all of these projects that are increasing people's cost of living, many people, certainly the ones that I'm seeing flying here, 
They don't want it. I'm sorry, but they are not increasing the cost of living. Net, the net zero agenda is not increasing the cost of living at the moment. What's increasing the cost of living at the moment is the oil, is oil and gas, which is subject to global fluctuations. There, there, there are green levies green? on our yeah. electricity bill. Yeah, but they are increasingly, increasingly, especially in the base of these rises, a tiny percentage, and they are not driving the recent increases. They are not driving the recent increases. No, they're not. They're driving and let's remember increases. that some of those there. levies also go towards insulating the homes of the poor and the elderly, because we've got incredibly cold homes. But the it, estimated it is not cost of, possible net, of net zero is about a trillion pounds. And the cost, and of, doing nothing, the cost of doing nothing is far, far more. As we have already seen in the UK, anytime we are affected by the increasingly unpredictable weather events, people in the UK are worried about climate change. I'm sorry, I, I will die on this hill. That is just an objective fact. Um, and it is not net zero which is driving the current cost of living crisis. In fact, if the government had done something about this earlier, we would not be nearly so dependent on the oil and gas, which is rocketing in price. But the Green companies agenda stopped like the government from uh, producing the gas that we need domestically. The government is on your same politics. You know, Michelle makes that, that point. I mean, that's so absolutely Chris. laughable. They, they support your, you know, unfortunate green agenda. It is so mainstream. What you're saying, you're right. It is not radical at all, but it is profoundly anti-human and it is attacking and making miserable the lives of most working-class people in this country. And it's going to make it worse. Your obsession with renewable energy cannot provide for what we need. absolutely absolutely can't provide what we need. It's already providing huge amounts of electricity And you're telling me that you haven't been anti-fracking? Yes, I have. I've absolutely been anti-fracking. I'm not denying that in any way. Even the gas under our feet we can't even get, which could have done done a massive amount to solve our energy problems. It would have done very, very little to solve our energy problems, which even the companies responsible for intending to frack, admit. They say it would do very little to change the prices, it would do very little to change supply. The majority of the oil and gas that we produce in this country in the North Sea is actually exported. There is not a supply issue in the UK. There is a cost issue, which is dictated by global fluctuations in price. So to say that fracking would in any way materially change the cost of our of our energy is just not true. Even the people who want to do fracking don't claim that. Any new oil and gas would take years to come on board, anything from 8 to 25 years until it comes on board. So it'll do nothing to help build. It'll do nothing to help the cost of living crisis that we're at the moment. It'll do nothing to help supply. What would help, or bang on about it, is insulation which, yes, is a bit boring, yes, is a bit complicated, but it would cut people's bills in the long term and it would insulate exactly the kind of people, Kerry, that you're saying we should be protecting. But here's the thing, though, because it wouldn't stop there, though, would it? People would insulate their homes or the government would pay for homes to be insulated, then it would be the next thing, then it would be the next thing, then it would be the next thing. Do you not feel that? What do you you mean by that? Pay pay for the people to have jumpers. Yeah, I just, and I mean, I'm trying. I have actually found somebody that oh, agrees goodness. with you, yes. <laughs> I, am, I mean, if you do agree God with God bless me, you. If you, I know, and I, I, this is what I mean. I'm, I'm, whilst you're talking, I'm like scouring oh, my inbox. So if you do agree with Amy, please can you write a capital yes in your subject line so you stand out to me. And if uh, you so don't, it. just take a break for a yes, minute. Uh, <laughs> but, but someone, you didn't say your name. Tubu is your email address, but I don't know your name. He said, are you kidding, um, Jubes? If you are not concerned about climate change, you are not paying attention. You need to get your head out. I'll miss the next bit. <laughs> and who are these other two foolish um, clubs? I think he means you, uh, trying so hard to misunderstand the whole issue. We need to reduce our oil con- consumption around the world or we die. 
Well, that's just mm. complete nonsense and a lie. I think even Amy would admit that we're going to die trying. if we Thank you. you know, reduce our dependence on oil, which is just not true. Global greening is also real. It won't be terrible for everybody. It, it, climate change is a problem, but not the same for everyone. And at the moment, the obsession with it is doing the most harm, especially to poorer citizens. And that's true. very real. No, you want to insulate homes. Where's yeah. your campaign for house building, which would be a bit more useful for in terms of an economic upturn? Right. Um, and for poorer people who can't afford decent places to live, instead of trying to stick foam in your loft. Well, um, I don't think I'm going to get much agreement with you, Amy. <laughs> no, you're fine, but you tried your I, best, but, Michelle, and I appreciate it. I, you know, <laughs> you've got your dedication to the cause, you're not backing down, and, you know, God does love a trier, and you're passionate about it, so credit to you, I guess. Uh, very, very briefly, unfortunately, because we're almost out of time, but I don't want to let the show end without uh, touching on this story, and I'll most certainly be touching on it, on it again in a future show, but three women exploited by a notorious grooming gang in Rochdale have won what some are calling a historic victory after the police have finally uh, apologised to them for failing. Stephen Watson, Greater Manchester Police Chief Constable, met the women yesterday and voiced regrets, etc., etc., about the way they were treated. They got some compensation. Uh, got to say, this has gone on for years now. Someone I admire greatly, Maggie Oliver, a name that'll be familiar to many of you. She's actually on The Breakfast Show tomorrow. I spoke to her earlier on today because there's a lot of sentiment uh, that this is a historic crime, uh, the whole grooming gang thing. It is not. It's happening right now. Maggie Oliver told me just today when I spoke to her about lunchtime, is she'd had 60, 60 girls contact her today, new, new girls saying that they are currently experiencing this situation. Kerry, your thoughts? Um, well, I, I have to say good on Maggie Oliver. Without her, I don't think we'd even have got um, the cases of these three women, uh, and they're just three, taken seriously, or they wouldn't have got the compensation or the apology, totally inadequate apology, in my view, mm. that they have got. And I, I do think, you know, ha you have to ask, have the lessons really been learned? Nobody can still utter the words grooming gangs of predominantly... British Pakistani men. It can't be said. But hang on, no, no, because I need to pause because you've just said, you went, oh God, when she said that. Why? Because if only grooming was limited to one ethnic group, if only, it if isn't. what it is, is a situation of men who have power taking advantage of women who are all too frequently ignored. Oh, do you know, right, let me, because this is, I, I'm really this trying to keep my mouth shut. This is, what you've just done then is Kerry is highlighting there is absolutely a situation where predominantly Pakistani men have abused and groomed White working Predominantly class white working class girls abuse them in the most inhumane way, degrading Absolutely. way. Absolutely, no There has been so many awful things happen to these girls. Yeah. They've been disbelieved. And Kerry, you are spot on that people cannot say this for what it is. It is predominantly Pakistani men selecting these women, these girls, because of their skin tone. And it is 
it's a shame actually on our society that that is not acknowledged and when you just kind of broaden it out and say well it's not all this and all that that's wrong surely you must concede that that is predominantly what's going on in this situation I, I absolutely would agree that vulnerable young women have been taken advantage of I think that happens right throughout society I think we know that because we've seen that time and, and and so sadly time again young vulnerable women not being agreed with not being supported not not being backed and I think to try and narrow it down to one racial group is just extremely unhelpful and ignores the much wider problem of exploitation well, of young women. Well, that is pretty much all we've got time for. I don't think that narrowing it down to one group is unhelpful. I think narrowing it down to one group in this instance is extremely accurate. Uh, I will be coming back to this uh, topic going forward, I can assure you. Maggie Oliver will be on The Breakfast Show tomorrow talking about it. For now, that's all we've got time for, unfortunately. Have a good evening. I'll see you tomorrow. Thanks for listening to Jubes and Cur, the podcast. Don't forget to subscribe so you will never miss an episode. And if you've enjoyed it, leave us a nice comment. I'll see you next time.